Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. It's Monday, August 22nd, and unfortunately, not in Florida anymore. A little mini vacation before the NFL season is over, much to Ryan Fitzpatrick's chagrin. But while that's sad news, the good news is I'm back with my guy, Scott Pienowski. We've got a ton. I mean, Scott. We have a ton of stuff to get to today. We've got preseason week two takeaways. We're pulling double duty on these team previews of a couple AFC East squads. Scott, this is going to be a long show today, buddy. Uh, how you doing, man? Yeah, it's going to be the best show in the history of the rebranded podcast. I'm guaranteeing it, and that's all I'm going to say. Let's just get into it. We get a lot ahead of us. Boom, we love it. All right, first thing, we're going to start with some news here. Luckily, there's not too many things, but we do have to talk about this increasingly weird uh, Tampa Bay situation, both off the field and on the field now, unfortunately. Um, Brett, not Lord Podcast, but uh, an oldie but goodie, producer Brett, threw it on the outline here as the Tampa Bay Firefest 2022 situation. Apparently, Tom Brady... You know, totally normal, totally normal. Uh, just the best quarterback in the NFL, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Just, just not with a team. Uh, we talked about that with Frank Schwab last week, but he's reportedly gonna return from his personal absence this week. Could be as early as Monday. Might already be back by the time you're listening to this. Of course, that's what uh, head coach Todd Bowles had to say. And um, also, though, from an on-field perspective, Scott. The Bucs have now lost guard Aaron Stinney for the year to an ACL and MCL injury. Of course, this joins center Ryan Jensen, who also out for the year. Meanwhile, <laughs> tackle Tristan Wirfs, not as serious, but he is day-to-day with a strained oblique. The, the offensive line probably, Scott, was one of the one questions that you could have with this unit just because the Jensen injury started off like right away in training camp. They also uh, obviously lost Ali Marpet to retirement this year. So... A potential question mark certainly looking like a legitimate question mark at this point. For sure. And don't forget also Rob Gronkowski, who I don't think is coming back, is yeah. no, no, longer, no longer in the mix. And one of the strengths of his game is is blocking for sure. I actually had Tom Brady locked in at QB6 most of the summer, and I took him down a couple of slots as a result. And look, quarterback, there's so many right answers at quarterback. And my my 
ethos there is that you should take a quarterback you feel really good about. And if you don't really feel good about a quarterback, like I don't feel great about Aaron Rodgers, I'm not going to draft him. Even when he percolates into really tempting rounds, I'd take a quarterback that you feel all in on. Right now, I mean, look, I'm still going to draft into Mike Evans proactively, um, but yeah. and there's other there's other pass catchers here that you can talk. I, some people are more optimistic about Godwin's onboarding than I am, although he's a terrific player when healthy. But my takeaway to this, and it may sound alarmist, but the thing is, I think now Brady's a yellow light quarterback, and I can take so many green light quarterbacks that why take a yellow? I, he's really he's QB eight on my list. And maybe there's a point where he, he could drop long enough, I would take him. But I'm probably out of the Tom Brady business right now. I know, and I thought he was a really tempting pick as well. Um, I still have him at quarterback seven, but I could see flipping Dak Prescott or Trey Lance uh, with Tom Brady now at this point. And I I think you, you said it really well, too. And I would also say one of the problems with this situation, I mean, Brady having this extended absence, and again, it, it might be over by the time we listen to this podcast, right? Because we're taping this on Sunday night. But <laughs> he is breaking in a lot of new guys here. Russell Gage is new. Julio Jones is brand new to the team in training camp. These offensive linemen are all brand new at this point now, too, especially the interior. And Scott, it's an old trope, but you know, where how do you beat Tom Brady? How do you bother him? Hold well, here's a revelation. You pressure him up the middle, just like every other quarterback in the NFL. So the Bucks just feel a little bit more like a house of cards than they probably would have um, four months ago. But I did say this with Frank. I still feel this way now. There's a chance that we're looking back at this situation in November, and it's like, oh, no, who cares? Like, nobody's talking about this. Nobody thinks about this Tom Brady absence or this situation because they're just moonwalking to an NFC South title. Uh, but it will matter for our fantasy teams. I think that's for sure. By the way, this is a team I want to get them early. If, if I, I think – yeah. If they have any moving parts on the offensive line, we know a lot of times those are going to be things that can gel during the season. And a lot of times we've seen Brady, you know, he looked, he struggled the most. You know, that famous 2014 Monday night game against Kansas City where, oh my God, the Patriots are two and two. Is this the last days of Tom Brady? That was you know, eight years ago. But I would want to play Tom uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers early in the season. And I do think they're still going to win the division, which is a very weak division. I don't like New Orleans as much as most other people. And Carolina and Atlanta have obvious fleas. So it may be a case of if you have Buccaneers, you may need to ride out the storm in September. Things will get better. But I think the the shaky part of the year, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I think you want to play this team early in the year. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Let's stay in the NFC South with the with the aforementioned New Orleans Saints. As you mentioned, Jameis Winston returns to practice after sitting out the last two weeks with a foot injury. I mean, he, he, this is definitely a guy that could break, have some time with his new receivers. Jameis Winston enters. Michael Thomas exits. He's now out nursing a hamstring injury per Dennis Allen. Scott, I'd love to pick your brain on this because you are I've long known you as one of the least injury optimistic guys out there. You know, you want to fade injury optimism. I think most of the negativity is baked into Michael Thomas's ADP at this point, but this is still not what you want. You don't want this sort of development for a guy that we haven't seen play football, certainly haven't seen at the height of his powers in a long, long time. Um, does this move you on Michael Thomas at all, or where did you stand before this piece of news? Yeah, I was kind of low on Thomas. This is a team I'm fading. Uh, I got into a debate with some people on Twitter a few days ago about whether or not this is a good offensive line, New Orleans. We had a lot of talk about Alvin Kamara, who it sounds like he's going to avoid a suspension. At least suspension risk is really low right now for him for 2022, but he's still behind a poor offensive line. There's no Breeze, of course, for the second year. There's no Sean Payton for the first year. And it was just so weird last year to see 
the version of Jameis they gave us, which was like kind of like unplugged Jameis, yeah. right? It's like you're not allowed to <laughs> the riff Jameis. Set. Yeah, the acoustic set, right? Don't turn the ball over, Jameis. You know, don't throw the ball downfield. No 50-50 balls, no YOLO balls. Now, this year, the exciting thing is that they fixed the receiver room, right? I mean, look at just the, the jabronis they were using last year at receiver. Now they, you know, they have Alavi, a first-round <laughs> pick. Michael Thomas is back. They got Jarvis Landry, who's still, you know, ostensibly a quality football player. So you'd like to think that this could be a fun offense, but what version of Winston are we getting? How many reps does he run with these guys? Throw that in. And, and I'm curious how you come on the offensive line. I, our friends over at Establish the Run, I think Brandon Thorne does their OL piece. He thinks it's the top 10 line. There are other people who I respect who have them outside the top 16. I think uh, Fantasy Index has them outside the top 16. The last time I looked at PFF's OL rankings, they didn't have the Saints ranked very highly. I'm curious what you make of that unit. I'm not proactive on Thomas at all because I don't think – when I think of what Winston's good at and when I think of what Thomas is good at, they just seem like not parallel things. I think these are kind of contradictory players. Maybe Olave might be more interesting with Winston. Of course, now Landry's there to absorb some targets. We know they'll probably throw another 65 passes to Kamara, although they've even said they don't want to throw the ball to Kamara as, as much. Bottom line, and I'm getting killed by the Saints. All the Saints fans are bookmarking everything I say on their team, and they're ready to throw it back in my face when they storm out and go 4-1 and one to start the season or something like that. But this is a team that I'm going to draft very little of. And when I do my power rankings, um, uh, Jason Kobach, our editor, is going to have me do some fantasy power rankings before the season. I'm, I'm not going to be bullish on the Saints, man. They're one of my least attractive fantasy teams right now. They feel like a very volatile unit overall, the Saints. I, I could see it. And I think the offensive line, that's how I would describe it. I don't know where I'd set them in the pecking order right now, but by the end of the season, I could see them being regarded as a clear-cut consensus top 10 offensive line. I could see them being somewhere around 20-ish. You know, They need Trevor Penning, uh, one of their two first-round picks this year. They need him to hit. He's kind of had, had an interesting offseason, right, because he's like gotten in fights in training camp. There's been sort of like some criticism of how he's played in the preseason, but they need him to to be like a day one solution, a day one top end player because he's replacing Teron Armstead, obviously often on the field with injuries and everything. But when he was out there, still a really, really good pro. Um, they've also got some guys who haven't quite hit their potential on the interior. Uh, you know, Cesar Ruiz, stuff like that. Uh, Andrews Pete hasn't been the same since he signed a big contract extension. So I, your point about the offensive line is well taken. And I think Jameis Winston's volatile. I think Alvin Kamara, you know, it, it, how does he look in with this version of the offense without Drew? Breeze, you know, they've basically said that, uh, well, not said this directly, but like folks covering the team don't believe that he's ever going to have that like 80 catch upside mm -hmm. again. So that's a transition factor there, but though I wouldn't quite call him volatile. Michael Thomas, certainly volatile. I, I haven't been proactively drafting Thomas, but if he's there at a comfortable range, I'm already taking the plunge. Chris Olave, though, on the other hand, I am proactively drafting. I am proactively ranking ahead of consensus because this is all part of the upside case for Olave is that if Michael Thomas comes back out there, even if he got off to a great start in training camp, he can have a setback. You know, it's sort of the same thing I said with Saquon Barkley last episode with Dalton, which is how often do we see guys just disappear or really underperform for two years and then just come back and be, like be a star level player again? I feel like it's not very often. And that is probably the upside case for Chris Olave. Yeah, that's that's my cheese theory that once the cheese goes bad on a player, I don't want to bet on it going good again. And so that Thomas would be a cheese player for me. Tell me, Kamara has, I, th I think it's, I'm still not sure if it's Kamara or Kamara. I think it's Kamara. I'm not positive of that. He's percolated into the second round of drafts. Are you in on that, out on that? Depends on the day. What? Where do you rest on AK? 
I, again, not a guy that I go into any draft thinking I've got to get Alvin Kamara. I really want to get Alvin Kamara. I find myself comfortable in the early to mid second round, but some folks think he's like a first round pick without the suspension uh, being factored in this year. And I, I just don't, I don't agree with that. Hard pass it, in the hard pass in the yeah. first round. The thing with me in the second round, if I wanted to take a running back, is I'm I'm going to want to take Aaron Jones. I'm going to want to take yeah. DeAndre Swift or Leonard Fournette. I feel like. A lot of times, if you get to that coin flip with Kamara, I'm just going to take the other guy. Yeah, I'm looking at my rankings right now, and if you're drafting off my rankings, you're probably not getting Alvin Kamara in the Ditto. second round. Because we're in, in unison on that. Yeah, sounds like we're on the same page there. We're on pay, the same page with Thomas and just the volatility of the Saints overall. All right, we're going to transition now to some of the preseason takeaways from this weekend, though I do want to make a note. As I said, it's Sunday about 5 p.m. Pacific, so the Giants game is going on right now. It looks like actually, as literally as we're having this, this discussion on the podcast, that uh, Kayvon Thibodeau ruled out with a knee injury. He apparently waved off the cart, but then went into the medical tent, so that's a story to keep an eye on. Again, it's happening in real time. Also notice, Scott, we can just touch on this really, really quickly. We've talked about Saquon Barkley a lot on the podcast. I feel like fantasy Twitter has talked a lot about the Giants offense throughout the course of the offseason because they're expected to get you know that outhouse to penthouse coaching bump that I've talked about but they're still playing their guys like late in this preseason game or late-ish into this preseason game it's I still feel like there's an era around the Giants of this offense is still trying to figure out exactly what it is so um, just wanted to throw that out there but we can transition into some of the takeaways from the games that did happen starting with this man Brian Robinson started the game for the Washington Commanders at running back over Antonio Gibson. Gibson did rotate in with the first team. Uh, Pro Football Focus's Nathan Jenke noted that Robinson outsnapped Gibson on early downs 2-1. to one. Now, Gibson did receive all the third down snaps with the first team, but it's worth remembering J.D. McKissick was out with an injury. Scott, are we at a point now where we have to rank Brian Robinson ahead of Antonio Gibson? Man, we're going to be really close to that. And I guess it also suggest the question of how far would Gibson have to fall? But if you think, okay, okay, screw it. I'll just swim against the tide and, and take. Because yeah. people are going to draft, be able to draft Antonio Gibson now as a backup player, as a, yep. I hope he's good. And if he's not good, it's not going to sink my team, which actually I still think is interesting. I also love what he had a fumble, I think, in their first preseason game, and then he got kind of fumble shamed for it. Like any running back doesn't know that fumbling is a bad thing, and I know. he'll learn his lesson if they if they send him to the doghouse for that. It always seems silly to me. I don't know what to make of Robinson. I mean, we run when running backs or any skill player stays in college for four or five years. In the case of Robinson, you know, it's like, oh well, how good could he be? I mean, he's he was in college so long, but he still played at the highest level. He played in the SEC. You know, put on, I, I thought, a, a pretty good tape and, and pretty good production in Alabama, and they sure seemed to like him, and he would make more sense in that short yardage role. The problem is the rule of two and three with running backs, right? You can live with a backfield where two guys get work. You know, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are both going to get work. We can live with both of those guys. But when if you get that third back percolating in, distributed in, now you have a, a headache where you can't get to double-digit touches with all their running backs every week yeah. and as projectable, and that becomes an issue. And we're talking about the Washington Commanders, who are not, you know, at best, what are they? Maybe slightly below league average on offense? You know, I mean, with Carson Wentz, I can't see this being a plus offense. They do have, obviously, they have talent here. We all love Terry McLaurin. You know, we, we've seen Gibson do some things. But this is a team where if everything breaks right, you could see them maybe being eight and nine or nine and eight, and maybe in the you know, the hint of playoff contention at the very end of the season. So 
I'm probably going to be, I, I guess there's a point where I would take Gibson. I, the problem with Robinson is he's come up so much in ADP. I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to buy at the high end of that, you know? I mean, when, yeah. when he was really cheap, that's one thing. And when, when his ADP started to move up a little bit, I could see it. But now that it's become such a huge swell, I feel like it's kind of a lemming move to go after it. Yeah. So I'm probably out on this backfield, and maybe I'll leave the door ajar that maybe if Gibson falls far enough away, because now people are going to be shamed if they take Gibson. Oh, you're the <laughs> idiot who's not paying attention in August. You don't realize <laughs> yeah, yeah, that Antonio yeah. Gibson is a league-losing pick. I actually think if you can get him as one of your lottery tickets on the bench, that might make a little bit of sense, because I still think he has a fair amount of upside. But the problem is it's the Washington Commanders, and the problem is when there's three running backs who all have roles into opening day, that becomes a real headache for fantasy managers. Yeah, I really liked uh Brian Robinson before the preseason when he was going as like running back you know beyond running back 50 I had him I think running back 51 52 in my rankings and it was, at that point it was pretty much like yeah you should probably take this guy with one of your last picks because there's upside for him to climb the depth chart that since happened right he's climbed the depth chart so I agree he's going to get to a point where even if you flip-flop these guys in the order of your rankings going into drafts, Robinson ahead of Gibson, it's not going to feel really great to take Gibson. Um, after the first re- first preseason game when it was kind of clear that, oh, this is not trending the right way for Gibson, I bumped him down to 33 and Robinson then up to 43. I think I still probably got to close that gap. But look, there. The, I agree with you. There's going to get to a point where then Brian Robinson is not an attractive pick, although I do think Robinson – is a rugged back, like he's a tough guy. He's probably not a superstar at the position. You just look at the history of Alabama backs, and he's probably the least impressive of the ones to come in the NFL recently. But I I know I bag on Ron Rivera for this all the time. Like, he just compares everybody to his old Panthers players. He's compared this situation to, uh, you know, by the way, this again, this is super niche Panthers stuff, and I know you love this about me, Scott, that I, I have such a weird thing with the Panthers. I had noticed this. I didn't even know that Reggie Bonifon was, like, the backup running back on on this team, and he was, like, the backup running back for the Panthers. It's like, Good God, Ron, like there there has been other teams in the NFL before. You don't have, just have to pluck old Panthers players. Anyways, I, I in, a, in a best case scenario, I think he views this as D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart. It's probably not going to be that. But every running back at some point has injury upside in, in the course of the season. And I don't know, Scott, do you think we get to a point, too, with preseason depth charts where it's like, it ain't going to look this way the whole year, right? Like it's not Robinson might start the year at the top, but who's to say that in December, whether by injury or just Robinson doesn't get it done, that Gibson's back in the spotlight, right? I mean, you can't draft as if that's possible, but you could draft as if it's, um, or I should say you don't draft as that's likely, but you could draft as if that's possible. For sure. I don't think it has to be December either. I mean, maybe week one, week two, Robinson starts, Gibson gets a series, he rips off like three big runs, and they're like, okay, we're going to run hot hand. The game ends. Gibson has 17 carries. Robinson has seven. Like, well, what happened, Ron? Well, you know, Gibson, you know, we thought he was really cooking there. We didn't want to get in the way of that. You know, this could definitely be a hot hand situation. This could definitely be they manage the position by mistakes. You know, somebody gets thrown in fumble jail. Somebody misses a blitz assignment, something like that, or or hits the wrong hole on a play. And they say, okay, fine, we'll we'll make that a teaching point. And he won't play for the next, you know, 45 minutes of real time. So there's going to be a lot of fluidity there. And I, you, the ranks you mentioned, they're probably in line with where I had these two guys, and I think I'm going to have them really close to even. I think I'm still going to have Gibson maybe just an eyelash higher because I, I, I don't know. Until they actually play the games and the bullets are flying, I don't know for a fact that Gibson has been passed by Robinson. Mm-hmm. The other thing that makes this interesting is that, remember, Gibson was kind of a hybrid player at Memphis, right? He didn't run the ball all that much. So maybe 
could there be a chance that if they kind of give up on Curtis Samuel ever being the player they want him to be, maybe Antonio Gibson becomes one of those hybrid guys where he's in the slot a lot, he's split out wide a lot, and he's not maybe a traditional running back in their offense? Yeah, I think that's possible. His career arc has just been very weird has Antonio Gibson because of that um, collegiate usage and then the way he's been so pigeonholed to like an early down back because of the presence of the great J.D. McKissick <laughs> but they just should have let J.D. McKissick go I don't know why they didn't I don't know why they, they were they could have right we're gonna talk about the damn bills sure, later on they sure. had a contract done with them <laughs> so very weird very weird the other running back who's been kind of the talk of the preseason was Damian Pierce he didn't play in the Texans' second preseason game. And according to Aaron Wilson, who's covered this team for a long time, the Texans are looking for someone to step up at running back beyond Damian Pierce. Pierce didn't do any reps at walkthrough. The team loved what he did last week. When you get an evaluation you want, you don't necessarily have to double down in preseason. So it sounds like Damian Pierce just got rested because he's the starting running back for the Texans right now. That's aggressive treatment of a fourth round rookie pretty rare that a fourth round rookie would get that type of um, treatment but he has apparently been really good in training camp did did play really well in the Texas first preseason game so perhaps he's just left to the top of this depth chart and now they're trying to figure out what everybody else like Marlon Mack Rex Burkhead the other guys what sort of roles they'll file into so I think the question has to be from a bottom line fantasy perspective Scott because you just said I don't know how jazzed I want to get about the backfield for the Washington Commanders. I'm not sure how jazzed I want to get about the RB1 for the Houston Texans. How high is too high for Damian Pearson fantasy? Yeah, I think he's going to be probably in the 28 to 32 range on my next running back board, depending on I look at it specifically and see. I'm a little bit more of a Texan sympathizer than most, although I know Dalton Del Don has kind of taken the baton as oh, being yeah. the, the number one Houston sympathizer on staff. But... I think Davis Mills can play. I think Pep Hamilton's a decent offensive coordinator. Brandon Cooks was one of those guys who was a really great ADP value maybe six weeks ago, a month ago. That's kind of caught up, and he's starting to go maybe commensurate where, where he's landed the last few seasons. So I don't think he's at his screaming value anymore. He did make my all-boring team that I put out last week. And I, liked, I was happy to see Nico Collins, who did very little oh, yeah. in the first game. I don't think he had a catch. He had a touchdown in week two. And he's a guy who I would like to draft, although it's it's tough in a managed league to get to Nico Collins as a starter can be maybe a leap. He's more interesting in best ball. I realize that's kind of a crutch to use, but I still think there's talent there. It's a very thin passing tree. So Collins, to me, could easily be like a 900-yard, six or seven touchdown guy. And there's a lot of formats where that has value. I would ideally, I'm still not ready to draft Pierce as my as somebody I need to start right away. I'd like him to be my third running back. And if somebody in your room, shiny new toy, has to jump in front of you and, and say, no, no, I'm going to take a stand on Pierce. He's he's my guy. You know, and we know this is all about people identifying who their guys are and putting their flags in the ground and, and doing their branding and all that. It's gotten to the point that Pierce may be that person for some people, especially in more sophisticated leagues. I bet in a more casual league, in a more kind of hometown league, you can probably still name your price on Pierce. But in the leagues, where people pride themselves on having an eye on the preseason. I think he's just going to be one of the buzzy guys. It's going to be, you look at a draft board, you're going to wonder where four or five different guys went. Pierce is one of those guys. George Pickens is one of those guys. Isaiah Pacheco yeah. is one of those guys. These have been the buzziest guys of the summer. So to me, again, somewhere running back 28 to 32 in that range, I'll 
have all my rankings redone on Monday morning. By the time you listen to this, you'll have the latest and greatest. I pretty much change them every every day, but I do a big wholesale change at the end of a preseason week. So I'm still kind of percolating on that. This makes Pierce a yellow light player for me. I don't go into a room saying I got to elbow everybody out like I'm Charles Barkley. I have to have Pierce. Again, it's the Houston Texans. It's a team that has five and 12 written all over it. And that might even be optimistic. But I do like Davis Mills and I do respect Hamilton. And I think they might move the ball enough to maybe give us you know, two or three reliable fantasy players with the idea that Pierce could be one of them. Yeah, I think you nailed my exact feelings on Damian Pierce right now. My note on this is, you know, people get so up in arms when they find out that you draft any fantasy team before like the last week of the preseason but this the guys we just talked about right now this is why you want to draft earlier because if you were kind of ahead of the curve on Damian Pierce you could have got this guy like running back 68 or something I mean Nico Collins I've had him ranked all season as a top uh, 51 receiver he's gonna get into that range now after an impressive preseason I think folks kind of getting hip to the fact that he's probably gonna walk into a ton of volume but you could have gotten him in like the 18th round of a best ball draft at different points this offseason Brian Robinson like one of the final picks of your best ball draft so it does pay off to be sharp and and following these things and drafting early you could get obviously you can get banged if you take uh you know jonathan taylor number one overall and he tears his acl or something in a in a practice drill but there are some benefits to drafting ahead of time and paying attention and stuff like that because i think this is the hardest thing for most fantasy managers is like these depth charts and how they shake out but i agree damian pierce I could see a case for drafting him over the like ultra boring David Montgomery, Josh Jacob, like dead zone type guys. But um, I think I'll probably keep him around running back 28 to, to 27 type of range uh, because I, I agree with you. I don't want to rely on him as a starter. Yeah, the thing with when you draft, I've always made the point that not everybody agrees that drafting earlier is better. But I feel like the weakest managers in your league all want to draft late. Because they're not confident they can connect dots, that they can get to conclusions and see patterns before they're obvious to everybody. And then they're you're, they're filtered into everybody's ranking. So the better you are, and I, and I get it, you draft early, there's going to be some injuries. You know, there's going to be a Tim Patrick story here or there. There will be more players getting hurt. Although we've seen teams really pull back on how much the key players actually navigate the preseason. So maybe we're yeah. not going to have as many injuries this August as usual, which is a good thing. But if you think you're really good at connecting the dots, you want to draft. And it, look, it doesn't have to be in June or July, although that's when I'm doing a lot of my best ball drafting. But you probably are better served to do that first half of, of August or middle of August draft where the people who are more casual, and there's nothing wrong with this, they want everything spelled out. They want starters. You know, in fantasy baseball, they want to know who the closers are and who won the shortstop job in Houston and stuff like that. They want to know that before they draft. And then you have to react to all that stuff. If you're a better player, you probably better serve drafting a little bit earlier. Yeah, hey, I'm never going to talk down to anybody because they have a real life. Because <laughs> they have a life and they want to draft their fantasy team as late as sure. possible. All right, let's talk about a group of tight ends here. And I don't want to go deep on all of them because I think some of them are obvious. But um, I'll put them in order of alarmed to, um, or I'll say surprising to least surprising here. These three tight ends played deep into the, their preseason, their team's preseason games. Albert O in Denver, I would put that as the most like surprising and most alarming. Nathaniel Hackett, the head coach, said after the game, Albert is a guy who needs the reps. That There's been a bit of a steady drumbeat about that all offseason coming out of Denver. Secondly, Noah Fant played deep into the Seahawks preseason game. 
he was kind of a throw-in trade piece with the Seahawks Russell Wilson trade, and they did give like boring old blocking specialist Will Disley a ton of money. So that's interesting there. And then I think we're all we like talk about if you're reading the the signs and the signals there, Scott. You were gonna you would have known like Mike Gesicki was going through a major career change. He basically even said as much like. I hate to hear a tight end saying this for for my own personal biases, but um, he basically said I was playing receiver the last three years, and and now I'm playing tight end. So it's a huge transition for him. These three guys, I, I would say Albert O is the one where it's causing me to adjust my rankings the most that he might not have a real role uh, on this team right away. Yeah, I I was a drafting fan. As you talked about, Disley has a role. We know their quarterbacks can't be trusted, and they have two really good receivers anyway. Fant was undraftable for me, and Gesicki. Because the ADP really hadn't corrected. I suppose that's probably going to correct. He, he will, I think, be in a reasonable ADP by the time those memorial, those Labor Day drafts, I should say, you know, those late late season drafts go off that maybe I'll be tempted to Gasicki, but right now he's been at an ADP. I haven't even th- once even thought no. about drafting him. Alberto hurts because he's got a physical profile and he's got a college tape that excites me. They get a new quarterback. Uh, you know, Patrick, who some of what Patrick does well may have conflicted with Albert. Oh, you know, we don't like to see Patrick get hurt, but he's out of the way. I'm thinking, OK, wheels up for Albert. O. I, I would have said if we were talking about Albert O. 10 weeks ago, uh, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, I might have surmised that maybe he would be the most drafted tight end on my team. That's how excited I was about him. Now I don't know what to do. Lockett has not been a head coach before, at least as far as I know of. Um I don't know that him playing Albert O, maybe he just wanted to see him run some more routes with with backups. I, I don't know. But I did have, I felt like I had to move Albert O down from, he was like tight end 15 or so on my list. And, and a guy who I kind of had mentally underscored as, yeah, okay, if I'm playing the cheap at tight end game or if I'm just looking for a second tight end with upside, he's a guy I wanted to draft. He's a certainly was a proactive green light guy for me. And I can't do that now. And and I realized, you know, they they have Delchik, the the rookie. They have a lot of good receiver talent. They obviously have two running backs that we're trying to figure out. And Russell Wilson's new to this whole mix, so we have to figure out who he riffs with and who he doesn't riff with. I maybe I'm I'm going to regret this, uh, not because I'm going to have to pull back from Alberto because I still think he has a physical profile and a skills profile that could easily make him a, a top eight, top ten, top twelve tight end, but. Um, when somebody plays this late in a preseason game, I think, again, it's not always what they say, but what they do. This is something I feel like we have to adjust Alberto on our ranks. I had to take him down a few slots. Yeah, I had him ranked aggressively as uh, tight end 12 because I was like, look, if you're taking a shot after the top nine tight ends, mm-hmm. you might as well, like you said, the physical profile and the NFL tape has so far been pretty good for Albert, Alberto, too. And am I really gassed up to draft like Pat Fryermuth? Noah Fant was in my rankings. We just talked about him. Cole Komet, maybe Hunter Henry, like Evan Ingram, all these other guys, like not really. So I still think I'm not going to bang him out of like the like the completely irrelevant zone or something like that. Because this is a talk about freaking out about preseason depth charts. I could see him getting in the mix at some point. Like, are they really going to start Eric Saubert all year long as the starting tight end for the Broncos? I'm going to say probably not. So um, this is a story I definitely want to monitor. And I, I don't want to be stubborn here and just not react to this because I think it is time to adjust your rankings for Alberto if you were really, really high on him, as it sounds like both of us were, or at least reasonably high. Is there another is there another tight end who steps into that four where somebody says to you, Matt, I want to take a tight end in the teens who I think has some upside. You know, I, maybe they somebody hit on George Kittle a few years ago. They might have hit on Mike uh, Mark Andrews a few years ago. And I realize, look, the Kittle and Andrews breakouts, we can't say that's a yearly thing. 
But if somebody said, look, I, I blew off tight end. I, I got late into this draft. Um, give me somebody outside the top 12. And Albert O would have been your answer. If Albert O isn't the answer, who are you pointing at? I mean, I could see a case for Cole Komet just from a volume perspective, but I'm not that excited about the profile. I think the long shot, like more Darren Waller-ish or Logan, I think the Darren Waller, Logan Tom, Thomas guys, you know, the long-term career burns kind of took forever. I'll say it again. I still hold have a candle lit for Mo Ali Cox. Um, who, mm-hmm. Me too. Who, who, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> he was rested with the starters in the preseason game for the Colts. I don't know. I mean, I think this is probably going to be a committee, but he's a guy that, I wouldn't mind taking, um, or probably you're probably not going to take him in like a traditional redraft league, but I would keep him on like waiver wire speed dial. Uh, Mo Ali Cox. Anything I just, tingly for David and Joku? Oh, I actually have Joku ranked as uh, tight end ten. Like I have him clearly. Really? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like he's he's kind of replaced Albert O for me as the you're not you didn't take one of these like top 10 uh excuse me top nine tight ends and you know we all know who those guys are andrew kelsey pitts waller kittle schultz goddard knox hawkinson you didn't take any one of those guys like maybe try to hit the hit the triple i'm not going to say home run but just because we know watson's going to be out for 11 games but i think Njoku has evolved a lot as a blocker. I think he's going to play a legitimate snap share this year and he's the one kind of um I don't always love to do the, hey, this quarterback targeted this position back when he was a starter for this completely other team. But he did, uh, Jacoby Brissett did target the hell out of his tight ends uh, with the Colts. So, and I think that's probably just like a play style type of thing uh, for Jacoby Brissett. Like they win in similar areas of the field. So I think Joku is a guy that if you're going to draft a tight end, like why would you rather not try to hit the triple with David and Joku than hitting the double with Zach Ertz in that range is kind of my thought there. I realize there are probably seven or eight tight ends who have such similar ADPs that it's almost silly to, to rank them by number because they're all clumped in the same bucket. But I just did a rough uh, eyeball of the Yahoo ADP at tight end, and, and Joko is 20th at tight end. And granted, there's wow. like seven guys who are, are only like a round ahead of him. So that could easily be effectively tight end 12 or 13 in your league, tight end 14. But if you're going to have him at tight end 10, that's a value. And, and I've the only thing that's kept me from really going in and Joku, I like the fact they made a financial commitment. I like the fact that Hooper isn't there anymore, although I, th- I think Hooper's going to catch like he's going to go back to being the Austin Hooper oh, yeah. and catch 71 <laughs> inconsequential passes for the Titans. But hey, you know, if you're in a PPR format, that will we'll take it. He'll go back to being the player that he used to be. But yeah, no, nobody wants to get invested in a Jacoby Brissett passing game. I get it. And even if they got Garoppolo, which I think probably won't happen, but there's a chance of it. It's not like Jimmy Garoppolo is a real needle mover either we know watson's not coming back to the final quarter of the season but i can't give i'm, I'm just going to not give up in the david and joku breakout season until it happens and maybe i'm just going to keep going bankrupt over it and right now i'm just kind of like reaching in my pocket and hoping there's some change there because i haven't done well on this and joku thing but i i can't seem to quit it I, i'm a big fan of, of him at this point all right last thing i want to ask you about from preseason before we do our team two team previews here chase edmonds played all 10 of the first dolphins snaps we just talked about Mike Kosicki playing deep into that game. I'm just finding Chase Edmonds to be a really fascinating player because um, Frank and I had a really good Chase Edmonds debate a couple of shows ago. I'm on the pro Chase Edmonds side. Um, you know, Frank was a little bit more skeptical. Dalton was pretty bullish on Chase Edmonds as well. So I kind of want to take your temperature on on this guy because he's actually a player I've bumped up the rankings. I have now as a top 24 running back. Um, and, you know, we know Raheem Mostert, familiar with the system, good when he's healthy. 
he'll be great for the five plays he's out there. You know, is kind of uh, how I feel about Raheem Mostert. Sucks because he's a fun player, but he underwent surgery recently to repair cartilage damage. That's really a bad sign for a running back. So um, Chase Edmonds is a guy I think is a, win- a quiet preseason winner. That's you know, I, Scott, I, I know you're going to hate it when I say this, but that I feel like nobody really wants to draft. And, like nobody really wants to talk about uh, Chase Edmonds, but I find him interesting. I think you're right. Follow the money. He's the guy who's getting money in this backfield comparatively to everybody else, which I think speaks to them wanting him to be the lead back and the offense reconfigured. Sorry, Mike, a second year tight end now. That means they want you to block. And if you're not blocking well, you won't be blocking. They don't want Tua to necessarily have to carry this offense on his own, even though they do have two very interesting wide receivers. I, I think Edmonds makes a lot of sense. Is a lot of teams are going to be able to roster him as a running back three, maybe even a running back four, and could easily be we, – we could be a month into the season and, and we could say on the Sunday Night Wrap, you know, Chase Edmonds is fully in the circle of trust. You're playing him every week until further notice. I think that's certainly in his range of outcomes. I think he's a good value right now. Oh, Scott, those those Sunday night recap episodes with you are going to be fun as hell. I can't can't wait. That's going to be it's going to be great. Searching for NBA playoff coverage. We've got you. The old man and the three presented by BMW gives you an inside look into the world of sports hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter. The old man and the three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and JJ discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. There's no such thing as a rookie wall with this kid. He's got a rag arm. He couldn't throw in that windstorm. The other guy threw the ball all over the park, and then yesterday proved it. The kid playing quarterback ain't our future. The future of the NFL is over in Buffalo. That guy, six foot four, 230, runs right by you, throws it 90 yards. Come on, it's over. AFC goes through Buffalo for 20 years, not us. It's over. All right, let's do our team previews here, and let's start off with the fun team, the Bills. But let's start off with the boring part of the team, and let's discuss the running back group. couple of preseason notes here. Devin Singletary took every snap for the Bills in the first quarter, only left the game when the offensive line did. Um, Zach Moss, we've talked about recently um, as a guy that's going to mess up this backfield. He was the first backup into the game. He's handled goal line work. Uh, I think that could be the thing that Zach Moss does in the season. Um, James Cook, we didn't really see him play until later in the game because they weren't in sort of the James Cook areas uh, of the game, like the hurry up the two minute, that type of stuff when the starters were out there. So um, how have you been approaching this backfield all offseason and has it changed at all um, with Zach Moss kind of, I think he's a guy that we all wanted to just push to the side and it seems like he's not going to be pushed to the side here. Yeah, once again, the running back rule of two and three, right? If we could just tell ourselves it's a Singletary and Cook backfield, it's not that hard to draft into those guys. But if Moss is going to be around just to siphon carries, siphon goal line work, then it becomes a real problem if you want to draft Singletary and it could prohibit you could get in the way of Cook getting on the field. Not to mention you have a running quarterback. I mean, Josh Allen may run less this year, but he's not going to run. His rushing production isn't going to go down to zero. He's going to take something off the table. For these running backs, I, I've been more proactive than most on Singletary to this point in draft season because you know he was having a really nice second half of the year or maybe final third of the year, and that story got really shoved aside because Gabriel Davis, the last thing we saw him do is just have an NFL special at Kansas City in the game of the year. So now he's the 
player everybody wanted to talk about who finished the season on the upswing, and that's you know perfectly reasonable. I'm still if I get Singletary as my third running back, I'm still fine with it. I'm not Moss is gonna I'm gonna he's gonna have to prove it to me. Yeah. If somebody wants to take him in the last round, I don't get him fine. If somebody wants if he does something week one and I get outfabbed on Moss, I mean I mean I reserve the right to change my mind between now and then. But I I've been unimpressed enough with Moss to this point that I'm taking everything they're saying positive about him with a very much a grain of salt. I I'm not not sure what they're gonna do with Cook. I I don't know what, how much he, they're going to th- want him to be a factor in this offense right away. And they have so many good pass catchers, you know, between the two wide guys, the slot guys, and the multiple guys. They have a good tight end. And again, Allen's going to run some too. Bottom line, I think I like Singletary a little bit more than market. I like Moss a little bit less than market. And because I haven't really picked a lane yet on Cook, I haven't been drafting into Cook, but I'm willing to admit that I could just be wrong on him. Yeah, not a guy that I'm really looking to draft unless he came in and just blew everybody away and suddenly was the starting back, you typically don't want, like if you need, if you need like a desperation for play in a half PPR PPR format, like maybe James cook can be the JD McKissick for this team, which by the way, they wanted JD McKissick to be the guy in that role before that, uh, you know, deal went back to Washington in a, in a last minute situation. They also brought in Duke Johnson. I mean, who cares about Duke Johnson, but like they brought in him sort of before they drafted James cook. So it's clear they want somebody in this pass catching role, but that could be something that's more valuable for the bills in real life. And, kind of as a guy that messes up some of the target shares here is James Cook than it is valuable for fantasy. I think Zach Moss probably in like a – we keep coming back to Washington running backs here, but like Peyton Barber early on in Antonio Gibson's career, like just as a guy that messes things up for Gibson really than it does anything for an individual fantasy perspective. In this whole discussion with the Bills, we should mention that they are undergoing an offensive coordinator shift. Now, Ken Dorsey, um, and if you watch their their preseason game, and I did get to watch a good bit of it, a lot of motion, a lot of uh, interesting concepts, which Brian Dayball did a lot of this stuff too, but I think it's just good to see Ken Dorsey kind of keeping that um, carried over. He spent some time in the CFL. He's like a decorated college player, Ken Dorsey. So I don't think they're really going to undergo a big identity shift, which is good because we don't want them to. Because, man, this passing game has been one of the best uh, soils to grow fantasy uh, goodness over the last couple of years. The preseason notes for uh, these guys in the passing game, all your league mates know who Gabe Davis is. If they didn't watch the playoff game, uh, he just scored a monster uh, touchdown in their preseason game. But Isaiah McKenzie also confirmed as the starting slot and did play in two wide receiver sets when they started to rest Stefan Diggs. I think that's important for his upside. Like, straight up, I don't care where you fall in the Gabe Davis debates. You need to be drafting Isaiah McKenzie in the late rounds of fantasy drafts right now because he has just huge upside and some standalone value here. Yeah, for sure. Um, McKenzie might be the Buffalo passing element that I draft into the most because I still think the price is reasonable on him. And and I love what you said about Dorsey, by the way. This is his fourth year in the Buffalo Bills coaching system. So he's been in all the meetings that Dable was in. And you get to figure there's a lot of when they hire from within, when they promote from within with a team that's been successful at offense, not to mention Allen's been there long enough. I always say that a tenured quarterback is part offensive coordinator too. They're going to obviously every week speak to Allen. You know, what are you comfortable with? What do you like here? What's a go-to play in this, in this spot or that spot? And he'll get a lot of input too. So I'm not worried as much as Brian Dable, I think is, is a really great coach. And we're all curious to see what he does with the Giants. I don't think like Buffalo, oh my God, you know, 
if only Brian Dable were here to save the day yeah. because they have so much talent. And, and Dorsey, you just get to figure a lot of what Dable did right. Dorsey has picked up that stuff. And again, you know, as you mentioned, he was at Miami, one of the best college teams of all time. It, yeah. it, ironic because Dorsey was just kind of a good college player. <laughs> he was never really a great player, although I think he got some Heisman steam in part because he was, he was surrounded by, I think, the, the best college roster I've ever seen, at least till maybe the last couple of years with Alabama and Georgia. They they are just so loaded and and you know college football is they percolate college football wants two conferences. They're gonna get it. <laughs> they're like getting they're really close. close to it right now. <laughs> right. They're awfully close right now. But so I'm not worried about that. I like the continuity there. And Isaiah McKenzie is a player because look, Jameson's Crowder is good. But the Bills realize that McKenzie is younger. He's more dynamic. He moves better laterally. And he had some really fun moments. He certainly drove yeah. the Patriots fits in one of those games. I think it was the uh, the rematch after the Patriots won the bad weather game. And then Buffalo said, okay, you know, we're never punting again against you guys. We're going to score like 11 touchdowns in a row or whatever it was. I mean, Buffalo did whatever they wanted against a good defense and a Bill Belichick scheme defense. And Buffalo just embarrassed them in that regular season game. And then they kicked the living tar out of them. You know, we were on Patriot text threads saying, just punt, don't punt anymore. Go for it on fourth down because you can't, you know, onside kick after you score, you're not stopping this offense. So I think McKenzie's set up for a, to really outkick his ADP. To me, the, the two things I've had trouble with this preseason is how to price in McKenzie, how to price in Day, um, uh, Gabriel Davis, because a lot of his breakout is already baked into his ADP. And how much, if anything, do we take off of Josh Allen's rushing um, production? Because the idea goes, usually the narrative is, okay, you come into the league, you're athletic, you're young, you're maybe a little bit naive at times. You see the sticks, you want to run, you, you run whenever you can. You, know, you're, you don't have the good sense to, to play for another day and, and maybe to slide or throw the ball away or everything. And Allen's always going to be, a, he's like John Elway 2.0. He's so athletic and he's, he's just a, a devil to tackle and everything. And sometimes at the goal line, he was their best option. I think they finally put the infrastructure around him that I, I would think he could easily lose 15 or 20% of last year's rushing production. Now, granted, a lot of that will be redistributed into passing touchdowns. It, like This isn't a knock really on Allen. It's more of my ethos at the quarterback position. I'm just not going to break the seal of quarterback and take him first. I'd rather try to get a little bit of value with another first-year quarterback or just you know, play the waiting game, Russell Wilson in the second tier. Jalen Hurts is perfectly fine. Is this a Trey Lance case? I mean, you know, there's a million good quarterbacks. I just don't want to pay at the top of the tier, so I'm not going to have Allen. But I think he's going to give up some of his rushing production this year. Gabriel Davis, in every draft I've been, somebody has paid for him like the breakout's already happened. I think the breakout could happen. Maybe it's even likely to happen. I just hate paying for it like it's already happened. Yeah. So I'm probably a little bit out on Davis reluctantly, and I'm sure I'm going to really regret it when he, you know, he has like five touchdowns after three weeks or something like that. And I'm also out on Josh Allen just because it's just not in my DNA to be the first person who breaks the seal at quarterback. And I think this year there'll be a little bit less rushing production. Yeah, I think this this whole tier of receivers to me, it's kind of these breakout guys, second year players, and Gabe Davis. You know, it's it's your Amon Ra. It starts for me at wide receiver twenty five. Amon Ra, St. Brown, and then it goes like all the way to Darnell Mooney at wide receiver thirty one. I think this is like the epitome of tiers. Is I could hear your case for Gabe Davis at wide receiver twenty five. I could hear your case for Gabe Davis at wide receiver thirty one. I don't think you can go too much lower than that. And I think going higher than that, even though our buddy Dalton has done it, is is paying for the breakout as if it's already happened. And I think it is ignoring 
because I think Gabe Davis can be really good in the role that he's in. You know, I've compared him to like a Devontae Parker type player and at his peak and Parker at the height of his powers as the number two receiver outside for Josh Allen's Buffalo Bills offense. Like, yeah, we'd be drafting the shit out of that player, right? Like, so I totally understand that notion, but I do think Isaiah McKenzie is really good. Like, he's a slot receiver who can beat man coverage. And when you're a slot receiver who can beat man coverage and also get the layup targets against zone coverage, you're going to, you're going to get a lot of passes in, especially in an offense like this. So I'm fine with Gabe Davis where he goes. I won't be too surprised. I would be surprised if he grows so much from year two to year three, that he is like a star level receiver. Um, but I would also be surprised if he like washes out of the league or something, or like he's terrible. I think that I don't think the range of outcomes is actually that wide. Although he's debated as if he is a player with the range of outcomes that wide. Last thing on the Bills before we move to the the, the Patriots, Dawson Knox. Where are you at with him? I mean, I think he's clearly in that top nine tight end group. Or like, if you're drafting him, he's a solution. But I don't know. He kind of gets discussed the least. Like we talk about these receivers all the time. And by the way, I don't even know that we really need to spend time on Stefan Diggs. Like, take Stefan Diggs in the first round and feel really, really good about it. There, boom, end of analysis. But Dawson Knox, I think, does end up on a lot of my teams because he's kind of the last tight end in this group. And, and I think his upside's pretty nice. I'm torn on Knox because I think he can win at all three levels. And I think on a different team, he could be a terrific, like, 120 target tight end. They're just never going to need him that much. Yeah. So when you draft into Knox, you need to – he was a big touchdown deodorant guy last year. If you draft him, you need him to keep seven or eight touchdowns. And I think he can do that. I think this offense will, will have enough room. For, and, and the good news is even though there's a lot of good players in this offense, I don't think they're going to, like, use a fullback or they're not going to – I don't think they're going to, like, spread the the usage so thin that they still can't get a good year out of, of Knox. The problem with Knox is I don't think he can be, like, a top-five tight end. Yeah. I think he's more one of those things where it's like, okay, I drafted him as tight end 10, and you're thinking he's going to be, like, tight end 8 to 13. He's going to he's gonna basically be a par for you, and that's okay. I mean, not every one of your picks has to be a swing for the upper deck. You know, sometimes it's perfectly fine to get on base. I think if you pick Dawson Knox, you'll get on base. Yeah, I don't know. I think he can eat into Gabe Davis a little bit, but he would have to take another step as a player. And I'm fine betting on tight ends taking that leap when they're younger because that's typically when it happens. Um, all right, let's talk Patriots here. If we have to. <laughs> Scott, we have to. We we, we have to okay. talk the Patriots. All right. And I, I tried. <laughs> I am I am like weirdly fascinated by, by this offense because I think the receiver core is probably not great. Unless it, definitely not great. But it fits together really interestingly. I kind of think Mac Jones is underrated in the backfield. Obviously, it's always fun to talk about in fantasy. So let's start with the backfield because I think that's what most people, um, if they could skip a Patriots topic, I know there's a lot of fantasy folks out there that just will never draft a Patriots running back. Uh, it's probably because of situations like they saw in this preseason game uh, that just happened where the first team offense is out there. They, Damian Harris got one drive. Ramondre Stevenson got one drive and Ty Montgomery. I mean, is this really going to be a thing, Scott? Ty Montgomery gets one snap as well. So your best guess at what this backfield rotation looks like this year. Well, first of all, you're right that it's a mistake. People just want to go, oh, LOL, Patriots. I'm not taking the Patriots running back. I mean, look, look, Garrett Blunt had a very bankable, startable 18 touchdown season for these guys. James White had one year. He was a top 10 fantasy running back. And Harris just had a year. We lived in the red zone in the end zone. He, he was terrific last year. So we have to at least put the effort in. If you ultimately wash your hands of it at the end, you don't want to get involved in it, that's fine. But there's good infrastructure here. They usually have plus offensive lines, although they don't have Dante Skarnecki anymore. He left a couple of years ago. Maybe the best offensive line coach of all time. Yeah. The thing and with And Matt Harris, Patricia is the 
and maybe wh- whether he's the offensive coordinator, or not, he's definitely the offensive line guy. So, man, I was I was trying not to say Matt Patricia's name. Um, yeah, the the pencil is back. It's tucked behind the ear, and so you know he's ready. He's ready for your meme purposes when the Patriots you know <laughs> lose to Buffalo twenty seven to three. I'm sure somebody will have a great Matt Patricia meme about how you know the team ran eight snaps inside the five yard line, didn't score on any of them. But Harris, he's in his, his lame duck year, right? And yeah. We've seen the Patriots before. When Michelle was in that spot, I, I will never get over the fact that they could have had Nick Chubb or Sony Michelle. And Belichick's supposed to have like the the bat phone to the Georgia coaches. And I, I guess the Georgia coaches must have said, take Sony Michelle. Nick Chubb was obviously the right answer there. But I want I don't think I think the Patriots have already kind of moved on from Harris in the point that he's not gonna be with the team next year. I would not be shocked if if somebody had a catastrophic running back injury and next thing you know, Damian Harris was traded for like a third or fourth round pick. That would not surprise me at all. If I were to draft any of the Patriot running backs, it would have to be Ramondre Stevenson. The problem with the receiver group is, and I think they're all interesting players. I'll even lump in the two tight ends there, you know, Henry and Smith. Everybody, it seems like, is playing one spot higher than they should. This team really needs one front man. It's, yeah. it's like a band that has all the great pieces, right? they got the great bass player, and they got the great drummer, and they, they get like a secondary guitarist, but they, they don't have the lead singer in this receiver group. And may, maybe Parker, I could squint and see Parker being that guy. Jacoby Myers, you would think, positive touchdown regression. I know some people hate that phrase, but you know he scored so few touchdowns on a decent amount of volume. I, mean, I can tell myself a story that maybe this is the year he scores five to seven touchdowns. I'd be willing to have Myers as like a bench player. I'd be willing to have Parker as a bench player. There isn't anybody in this passing game, and that includes Hunter Henry, who didn't have a lot of volume. He talk about touchdown deodorant. He needs touchdowns. If he doesn't score them, he's not going to be fantasy playable. He could have 13 yards in any game. So uh, these are all bench guys for me. These are, And I don't see anybody who I can even tell myself a story. There's like a thousand yard, seven to nine touchdown upside with them. I don't think any of them have it. So boringly, I'll, I'll add like Myers is like my wide receiver five, yeah. wide receiver six here or there. Maybe Parker could be a wide receiver five. None of these guys I'm going to start. Stevenson, I'd be willing. If I were like, say, drafting, Frank Schwab and I will do a couple of teams together. If we were in a point where we needed like our third or fourth running back and he was a pro Stevenson guy, I would maybe let Frank talk me into Stevenson. Right now, I'm not drafting Stevenson proactively, but I'd be open to that. Probably fading Harris. And I'm only going to take the rest of these pass catching guys when the rest of the room shrugs and says, well, we don't want them either. And then you just take them at your own price. Yeah, the running backs definitely feel like I'll let ADP and uh, the current draft room like kind of dictate where these guys are going to go because there have been times I drafted Damian Harris at like running back 34 in a draft recently. I was sure. Like at that point, I'll take some Damian Harris. I do think that if I'm making a bet, and we could be a year too early on the Ramondre Stevenson thing, and like fantasy Twitter definitely wants Ramondre Stevenson to be a thing. I could see 2023 being his year, but I could also, you know, as they're transitioning from the zone-heavy run-blocking scheme or transitioning to a zone-based rushing scheme away from a power-based rushing scheme, I think that fits Ramondre Stevenson's game because he's got great agility for uh, a bigger back, could really hit those holes and be aggressive as a home run threat. And I think he's, you know, run a little bit as the pass-catching guy. Like, nobody's going to be James White in this offense. Nobody profiles as that type of guy. But if he's getting some passing down work, that's a win for Stevenson. So there are some draft rooms where he goes really high and some draft rooms where he just sits around there. And in the ones where he sits around, I will certainly be willing and kind of excited to take him because I think the upside's there for him. On the pass-catchers, my best guess at this right now is that well, for one, you couldn't have said it any better. What they really need is like a number, a legit number one X receiver. They got like 
the consummate maybe you hit a single league average X receiver in Devontae Parker, who's not a star, um, but is like probably at best an average starter, but doesn't look like anyone else on this offense, right? He's the only other guy that could, he's the guy that could play that X receiver position. My best guess is he runs out there and probably leads the team in touchdowns as that X doesn't, I think he's a little undervalued in fantasy just because he's never going to leave the field. But Myers is the guy I really like here. I think is the one player who doesn't get discussed enough as a guy that's on an upward trajectory. um, Who's just anytime they try to bring somebody else onto the team, Jacoby Myers just outplays them. Jacoby Myers just continues to hold a very valuable role. I really like Myers still as a player um, as the slot guy here, the slot flanker. I think he's the, the one I like the best. And then, I don't know, man. It sounds like Nelson Aguilar is going to have a role in this team because rookie Tyquan Thornton, who was kind of having a nice summer, uh, had a collarbone injury over the weekend. He's expected to miss some time now. So Aguilar probably going to play in three receiver sets only as the speed guy. And Kendrick Bourne, I I mean, he had some interesting moments, but also just like kind of had a little weird mini suspension by the team for fighting and joint practices um, and now might run out as the number four receiver here. Yeah, if you're hearing some booms in the background, my, my dog just, uh, Teddy, just knocked down the dog gate and he's trying to eat my microphone. So it's kind of good that we're near the end of this podcast. <laughs> Myers Myers is a single, but some leagues, you know, late pick, getting a single is okay. So he's the guy I'd be targeting. Do you want to stump for either of the tight ends? Because I'm not going to draft either one of them. No, I don't. I, I have Hunter Henry at the um, bottom of that group that we talked about. Like, I, do I really want to move Albert O below Hunter Henry? Uh, no, probably not, because no. I don't think there's a scenario where Hunter Henry changes your fantasy season. I think if Albert O gets it together, puts, you know, a couple of good games together early in the season, um, shows whatever the coaching staff they're looking for, then he could end up being a, a real winner in fantasy. So, no. And, and the fact that, like, Jonu Smith after was probably the worst free agent signing in the NFL last year. It sounds like he's had a little bit of a better summer, and they're even talking about him. Sometimes playing him in the damn backfield, Scott. So, no, I don't want to – I won't be something for either of these guys. And just last note here on the Patriots, Mac Jones, I think, is pretty good. Like, I, th- I think Mac Jones isn't getting enough credit for having a decent rookie season. It just – the whole thing comes back to I would love to see Mac Jones groomed more and more into, like, a high – efficiency, low average depth of target, like get it out quick, be the point guard of a really up-tempo fun offense. But this whole thing is operated by our guy, Matt Patricia and and his number two, uh, or maybe pseudo one, a one B Joe judge like that. That make you feel real good with a young quarterback there. You know, I know Josh McDaniels was a lightning rod in a lot of ways with some of his personality quirks, what he did with the Indianapolis job, what he did in his very brief moments as the Denver head coach, they're going to miss they're going to miss him. He, he, they don't have an obvious step in candidate to replace McDaniels. And I think this is one of the geniuses of Belichick is that the teams get better as the season goes along and he figures out who can play and he coaches guys up and everything. This is another team that's going to be really good to get them early. I can see the Patriots being like three and three or two and four or something like that, kind of written off. And then it's like around Thanksgiving time. It's like, hey, guess who would be in the playoffs right now if the season ended right now? The Patriots, who just won five of six or something like that. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but uh, this is a team that has a lot of moving parts to it. It's not really clear what they're going to do post-McDaniels. And I think it's going to take a while to get everybody on the, on the right page, on the same page. Unfortunately, there's just too many guys who kind of contradict each other or, or kind of muddling together. It's going to be a very difficult team to draft into for fantasy value. 
yeah, weird team. Uh, it couldn't couldn't be a more stark contrast from the team we just previewed with the Bills, where it's like, man, at, at, at certain prices, I want to be drafted all these guys, right? With the Patriots, like, <laughs> I don't don't know how many times I want to be clicking Patriots. But, um, Scott, I see a dog back there that desperately uh, needs your attention. Uh, so go tend to your good boy there during. I know you got some storms going on. That is going to do it for us. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Tomorrow, Andy Barons will be back with me to discuss. Um, I think we're going to do like a full running backs that might wreck your season talk, which should be pretty fun. Beautiful optimism there. We're also going to work All of on. Them. Yeah, right. Pretty much anybody. And we'll also try to exterminate J.J. Watt's snake problem with an Arizona Cardinals preview. Until then, we're out. We'll be right back.